0: Hello and welcome. Well, it's become increasingly prevalent over the past half a century that there has been a steady increase in the number of children being diagnosed with autism. That being a new diagnoses per year and the total number of affected individuals in the total population. But the question is, I mean, how much do we really know and understand about autism spectrum disorder and how can we best support affected children? And secondly, I mean, how can we best support them during this pandemic? Let's face it, you know, most adults are finding COVID extremely challenging um, time on all aspects. So it's really mindful for us to be empathetic how it's affecting them. So to help, we welcome our special guest, Portia Gunn, an occupational therapist from Youth Integrated Therapy Services. Uh, thank you for joining us, Portia. How are you?
1: Great, thanks for having me. I'm pretty good today. How are you?
0: Yeah, look, I'm, I'm really excited to be having this conversation with you. Um, and I think it's it's it important for us to establish, um, initially some some, I guess, general questions about autism spectrum disorder, and then um, I really would love to sort of deep dive into some questions about how it is affecting families and children, um in general uh, throughout this pandemic. But before before we get into those questions, um, I just wanted to establish that we had published um, your article. Now, the title of that is COVID-19 Supporting Children with Autism. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what the article is about and then what inspired you to write it?
1: So the, the article that is published is all about um, giving a bit of uh, background to the strengths and challenges of children um, or individuals living mm-hmm. with autism spectrum disorders um, and talks about the, the challenges that may arise a little bit around the pandemic. But the main focus of that article and, and what sort of motivated me to go there was how do you actually cope and deal during that time? What yeah. can you do as a parent or a caregiver of a child um, on the spectrum to get through this time so it goes through um, some strategies
0: there. Great. And of course we'll have the link uh, to the article in the show notes as well. Now to begin with, can you please just explain, um, what is autism spectrum disorder? And can you please explain some of the signs, some of the challenges, the positive traits that people with autism might display?
1: Yeah so autism spectrum disorder is a um, developmental disorder and it's lifelong. Often some of the more common um, things that people know about autism are um, challenges with eye contact or maybe some rigid type thinking set routines. What some of the things that people don't think about often with autism though is that they have heightened sensory sensitivities. They feel the world more than we feel the world. They have a harder time processing what that world feels like and actioning that every day, which is why we see such a big thing with routines um, and repetitive actions. So other um, things that children and uh, individuals with autism experience is that they really find change challenging. It's not easy for them on a day-to-day basis to get through things like this. They also often have difficulties communicating. And that might be um, actually verbally getting out what they want to say, but it might actually be finding the right words to actually help everybody else understand. And a large part of having um, autism is that they have difficulties interpreting social cues. So they might not actually understand what other people are meaning or thinking in the world. And again, that forms that big part of how they process that information. Um, they're very literal, very, very literal individuals and sometimes can find it really um, tricky to grasp what's been said. However, positives, they're really good at remembering things, things that you think that are just, what, that even happened? They know it all. They remember. <laughs> um, they um, often, and often they can be kind of experts in certain areas. Not every person is the same, though, and I think that's a really clear definition to make is that you know, passion for all of us is different. It's the same for them. But what we see is when they're passionate about something and really motivated to know about it, and that's why they can appear like they know a lot about these sorts of things. That's and they often live in the moment. Very impulsive at times. They live in the moment. They enjoy it. And I think that those things are actually strengths of individuals with autism.
0: Yes, yeah. definitely. So how may autism, um, well, how may autism affect a child then?
1: So, I think that when we're looking at children and the impact that it has um, just day to day, is that, you know getting up, getting dressed, there's a lot of sequencing that you need to do in that time and if something goes wrong, like somebody wakes up half an hour late or um, we've run out of milk for our cereal, some of those small changes can make a big difference and cause a lot of anxiety. We know that um, individuals with autism are more prone to higher levels of anxiety, so therefore the day-to-day comings make that challenging. So throughout their day, they're constantly um, trying to navigate the next step. So when we we then look at that, they can't communicate that effectively, or they find that the sensory input in that space is more challenging. There is often more hurdles there every day for them to to overcome. Um, Not to say that they can't, because often they do, um, but this does create behavioural challenges, both externalised, quite large behaviours, and internalised, quite passive behaviours. Um, can create a lot of confusion for them and uncertainty in general for them. Um, but I think at the other side of that is that um, it doesn't just impact them as children, it impacts their parents because their parents don't understand or adults might not understand them just yet. They'll get there, but not maybe not yet. And that um, makes it even more challenging. And forming those social connections that are really important to every human. Socialisation is such a human thing to do, and when you have a challenge in actually interpreting those cues and building those networks, um, it does create an even bigger barrier, especially at a time like this.
0: Absolutely. So. What I'm hearing, the effects of autism spectrum disorder differ from person to person, but, um, but most people with autism experience challenges with like, socialising, communication, as you said earlier, behaviour and sensory processing, um, but also, I guess, the severity of the symptoms vary from person to person. Is, this, is, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so you could walk around um, and, and go into a park or something where children are commonly, and you might see a child who's swinging on monkey bars and moving around and talking with friends. And they may have autism. But you may also see another child at the same park who's only sitting with that one item, not speaking to friends, maybe can't verbally communicate, and might actually have some externalized behaviors that are seen, and they also have autism. The spectrum is so large. I have been working in this space for a long time and never met two people the same, ever. And <coughs> So
0: I was just going to say, scary. yes, no two pe- people with autism are the same, but their characteristics no. often differ then. Is that right? Between...
1: Big time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we, we see similarities, for sure. For sure <coughs> there are similarities. You know, we know that, you know, if you look at it, there are boxes there. Um, however... Um, those similarities vary in, in how often they're presented or anything like that as well. So, so
0: I understand there are some common, um, I guess, challenges that people people with autism face. So how could you best describe, I guess, what those common challenges are then?
1: I think common challenges <coughs> is uh, the number one is fitting into an environment made for neurotypical people. Going to a school, going to, uh, being able to sit there and be part of that environment is a challenge. Their biggest challenge. The reason for that is because they um, interpret that information different differently. So they might misinterpret cues all over the place and therefore react and respond in an inappropriate manner at times. Right. So um, that that is a challenge in itself because there's a lot of stigma there and then there's a lot of judgment that comes on top of that and that creates that issue but I would say the biggest things are rigidity cognitive rigidity is is a really big area there um and misinterpreting those social cues um and having challenges in regulating their behaviors and their emotions okay
0: So now sort of moving on to, I guess, um, COVID, you know, why might the stress and uncertainty of COVID-19, like in particular, be challenging for children with autism?
1: biggest one is is that change in our daily daily routine we have all been affected by the fact that sometimes we need to be at home other times we're not we're not being able to go to those community spaces that we normally do our life has changed our routines have changed um, and i think that as adults we struggle enough as it is um, when we're looking at children on the spectrum um, they already find it really hard with these small routine changes. And so COVID definitely is um, creating a lot of ripples there in regards to that frequent change. I think on top of that, it's as well that lack of um, that lack of socialisation or that, that difference there. You know, we're teaching these kids in a very um, structured and sequenced way to to learn how to socialize and to be social people. And so we teach them to play games at lunchtime. We teach them to have conversations in the playground or to whatever it might be but we're not actually teaching them how to communicate online effectively or how to socially distance and have a conversation where those skills weren't taught to these people. And so now what we're seeing is that there's been a change in the way that humans are allowed to socialise. Yes. And for them that's really challenging. The other side of that for them is that, um, like I mentioned earlier, they're quite literal um, and black and white COVID is not literal and black and white at the moment. It is ever-changing and ever-evolving and things are up in the air just like a juggling act and um, for individuals with, um, with autism, especially children, they um, are going to really struggle with not knowing what's, what's black and what's white.
0: So with that, I mean, what are some tips to help parents support their child with autism through COVID um, and then also just other stressful life events also?
1: I think and I've mentioned a few times is routine and it's because every single day in my clinic I talk about routine and about keeping consistency because when we're all faced with times of change, we naturally go to what we know and what we know is we get up and we have breakfast or we go to bed at this time or we can read that book or watch that movie. We know that. Yes. And so creating that and ensuring that we have a really clear, like you mentioned, structure to the day and that will change. And it's okay that it changes. And I think reassuring parents that you're, you're, your life's changing, theirs is too, and it's all right. But what you can do is put that structure in place. I often recommend that visuals are a really great way to do that. Yeah. Visual um, supports are a really good way to teach people on the spectrum because they're often visual learners. So having those visual cue cards around, letting children tick things off, feeling that sense of accomplishment, knowing that something is coming next. Um, keeping those systems in place is really important. Yeah.
0: Okay. Other and, things. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Keep going. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to say um, other things um, to consider. There is that at times of change um, for people on um, for kids with autism, they when there's been a change, they can feel like their entire world changes. So mm. even though it's one thing has changed, they feel like it all has. Reassuring your child that. Even though something has changed and we can deal with that, X, Y, Z is going to stay the same. What keep having those conversations? All right, we're not going to school today, but you are still going to have a lunch break and you are still going to get your afternoon um, play on the trampoline. So what's the same in their day, but what is different? And it's okay to have difference.
0: Yeah, that's really great advice. So where um, things are changing, you just keep communicate what you're staying the same and that sort of helps provide that routine and structure for children with autism. Yeah. yeah. But h- yeah. how about wearing masks? I mean, explaining to children why they need to wear a mask can be really difficult task in itself. But experts I was reading this morning um, say parents and caregivers of special needs children face additional challenges with this and children with special needs I mean such as autism can experience sensory issues as you mentioned earlier that make it more difficult for them to tolerate a mask so in your view then I mean how can parents explain um mask wearing to children with special needs uh, in particular of course autism
1: Yeah. And and like you mentioned, the sensory sensitivities, there are almost sometimes the number one. And um, so it's really hard to overcome that by just a conversation because in their brain, it's no, I'm not doing it. That's not working for me. And I think when faced with the mask um, challenge for children with autism, remembering it's really important to remember that we know the purpose. They don't. Children don't want to do things unless they understand why. So our job right now is to help them understand why. And sometimes the most effective way to communicate that is through a social story where you're using pictures and simple language, and simple language is key, simple language to help them understand why they need to wear the mask, how long they need to wear the mask for and what that might look like for them. Can we make it a fun mask? Can we tell them which environments they do and which environments they don't? So that they're getting a little bit of routine to the mask itself. So a social story should be able to um, set those expectations up, set those boundaries, give those timeframes, but help a child understand that it is for a reason, even if they may not grasp that, that reason for older children it is important to talk about hygiene health and safety if they understand those concepts definitely chat about it but it's important that language is very simple to the point and structured okay so, so some
0: of those um social cues that you were talking about before where, where can parents find these then if they want to to use them
1: in regards to a social story yeah Yeah, I think that um, if a parent is already, or a child's already engaged with therapy, that's my first recommendation. Talk to the therapist about putting that together because they know your child, they know your family and they can help and support you with that. There are resources online um, of pre-made social stories that can be modified and adapted. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it's, it's not something that's that easy to go and find. I think that, The way that I, as a therapist, develop that language for that child is I keep it simple. I think, what would I say to an adult and take out about 10 words and put that in a sentence? What does my child ask me? So what are the questions that they're asking? Answer the questions in the story. So you're actually using the conversation that you're having with the people around you. To figure out what's best because a family in one household versus a family in another are going to have two completely different stories based on their children and their needs
0: so just to establish for anyone watching and listening that maybe doesn't understand and know what a social story is could you just please establish that for us now
1: yeah, so a social story is a um, an intervention strategy used to provide simple pictures. So you might pick a picture of your child or a picture of the mask or the shopping center and you would put that on one page and it has one or maybe two sentences and it literally goes through a story of what's going to happen. So what I'm going to do, so it might say, um, today we need to wear our mask to keep ourselves safe. I'm going to put the mask over my ears and I'm going to take three deep breaths. Then the next page moves over and it goes, when I go to Woolworths, I'm going to uh, wear my mask until we finish shopping and when I get in the car, I take it off. I'm going to keep happy, healthy and safe in my environment. And so it communicates what you're trying to already say to your child but visually, and visually is probably the most important. I use PowerPoint and I make it, check everything in PowerPoint. It's really simple enough, um, way to do that, um, but one picture, a couple of sentences and you're done.
0: So even if um, parents aren't able to find a social story that, um, that they, they're comfortable or happy with or works for their child, they can create their own as simple as just putting together a PowerPoint presentation.
1: That's right, yeah, yeah. Pictures Fantastic advice. Right.
0: Thank you for that.
1: And sometimes it can actually help to have children draw their own. So they might draw their own pictures, write their own social stories. And it's kind of their how-to book.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And, and just getting back to mask wearing, you know, what makes um, wearing a mask harder for some children than others?
1: So a lot of kids um, with autism actually have sensitivity to their head area, so anything related to the head. It's quite a common thing that we see. Um, so the actual strings around the side of the mask behind the ears creates pressure. They're hypersensitive to that input as well as the lines of the mask on the face. So what that means is that for um, kids on the spectrum, often they have what we call hypersensitivity to touch. Again, it's not the same for every child, but it it means that their little touch receptors are turned on all the time. So anything that touches them, they feel it at a higher level than what we do. And so for them, a mask doesn't just feel like a mask. It feels almost, you know, like a really big lot of pressure around their face and so it's really quite uncomfortable and nobody wears anything that they don't like um, the feel of. So we need to help build purpose and understanding. But that sensitivity is really tough. The other thing to consider is if they're, um, if you're using more generic masks, sort of like those medical ones or anything, they're kind of a one-size-fits-all. You might have quite a small face um, or a different, you know, their ears might sit different. Their actual physical differences across humans make those masks a little bit more challenging too. Um, I have seen some great inventions online like using their hats to clip the mask on. They're really great. Get creative, figure out other ways to do it that work for your child. Um, but what you can do in those moments is touching the, like the face, so around the nose, around the head and um, the ears or giving a bit of a massage, I suppose, to those areas, turns those receptors off a little bit and, and lets the child down. not feel it at that level.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, what are some common questions that you're um, receiving from parents and caregivers um, of children with special needs at the moment just generally about COVID?
1: I feel like the most common is um, behavioural struggles you know the changes in anxiety and managing um, managing those those um, pieces of information that are coming in. I think another element, though, is how to shield a child from the the confusion of the news and those sorts of elements too. So, how do I cope with my child being indoors all the time, not being able to go get movement? How do I stop them hearing the news? How do I? Um, help my child to calm down and go to bed at the same time each night when they're already at home all the time so um, those are probably more of the common sort of questions that I'm getting
0: I mean and how can parents during this time tell the difference between I guess defiance and inability to want to do something for example like wearing a mask like we were just talking about
1: yeah it's really tricky. That's a, it's actually an age-old question with autism. Is it sensory? Is it behaviour? What is it? And what's defiance and what's not? I um, feel at the time, you know, if you feel stressed about COVID or something and your child is reacting at that time to that situation... It's not necessarily defiance because they probably feel the same way you do as an adult. And so it's important that you treat them the way that you would. If you don't want someone to sit there and say that you're being defiant, don't tell them they are. Um, In a time like this, when we're going through, you know, pandemics, natural disasters, times of uncertainty and change, it's really often the best practice to always think this is not defiance, this is a reaction to stress. And the first thing to do is manage that, give the structure, give routine, create a calm space and give the input. If the behaviour continues, then often we go, okay, it might be a little bit more of a defiance, Uh but you always start thinking that it's not.
0: Great advice. In in, in your opinion, should parents provide incentives during this time or is it just the clear communication they need to focus on?
1: Incentives can be really great. Um, children on the on the spectrum are actually more externally motivated than internally, so they need those external rewards to help them get through challenging times. Um, we um, we see that they don't often find internal rewards systems enough. They don't see the purpose themselves. So, um, rewards can be, um, or incentives can be a really good strategy to use when you're trying to create a new routine or structure, um, or to um, get them to do something like wear a mask, or, um, you know, they might not want to go um, to the backyard because they really want to go to the playground and so you've got to then put some reward systems in place to get them to engage in the things at home and teach them. Um, I think a really important thing on incentives though is that um, children on the spectrum don't always automatically know what um, they need to do or how they do it and so we naturally are quite inquisitive people and um, and they are too but only when they're confident enough Uh so it might be that you're trying to teach you know you might have a whole weekend at home and you've got arts and crafts and outdoor activities but your child doesn't want to do any of it it might not be that they don't want to do it they might not know how to do it or what it looks like. So incentives can support children to push themselves enough to engage in these new activities, to learn about them, so that then you can use them ongoing and it actually can make that process of being at home or doing some new things a little bit easier without the need for, for those incentives later.
0: So how Howard, in, in the example that you mentioned about doing crafts, How would, um, what example can you give that a parent can use to be able to give incentive to help that child, um, you know, interact with that either new or, you know, new craft hobby or something like that?
1: So craft is great because it is, is something that we can engage in for hours and it, and it has so many um, skill sets that we can teach there. So it's And it's a really good one to do at home. But we see that um, the challenge is that children can't get into that activity. And if they can't see the picture in their head of what that activity is going to look like at the end, mm-hmm. they don't actually see a purpose to start it in the beginning. So one tip there is to you make it first. And have a model, a model ready to go so they know what they're doing. It could be a picture, it could be you've made one. Um, so you've got that activity, and the activity is set up well. Then on top of that, your incentives come in by um you might have a to- what we call a token system, and that means that you might have um four star um star tickets to get, and one might be by having your afternoon tea, you get a star. Sitting down and doing your craft, you get another star. Um, You know, going and washing your hands, you get another star. Whatever it might be at a level for the child. And then their reward might be technology time or it might be something that's a lot more motivating to engage in. But because they know what that end is, that craft activity will get done because they understand the whole task and you've given that reward of whatever that is. That's a really good way to do that.
0: Fantastic advice. And earlier um, you mentioned uh, the point about communicating and it's common that people with autism experience challenges with communicating, as we know. Um, I'd love to know from your perspective, what are some of the more common challenges children would experience with social communication and the lack of interacting with others during this time?
1: I think the big challenge there. Um, is that they're so used to trying to build these face-to-face ways of interacting. Um, you know, social cues um, are about interpreting the face and the body and then those voice clues and coming on and we're teaching in that way so they're understanding or learning to understand humans in that way. Um, COVID creates a challenge because we take out all that information now and we go online. And so now we have to understand typed text and emojis and all of these other things that um, children may um, commonly come about misinterpreting. In saying that technology has been taking over for a while so some of these children are quite competent and actually enjoy that more and then the challenge they experience is higher amounts of social communication with their siblings and so we have two different types of challenge here. Um, I think Tips around that is to open up avenues to talk with you as a caregiver. Talk with them, hey, did you have any challenges today? You know, how was talking to so-and-so on the computer? You know, tell me a bit about it. Open up free communication between you and your child because if they don't know, they can tell you that there was an issue online. They're not going to. And so um, parents can be quick to... um, get children in trouble for online chats or be worried that they're always quite a negative thing and and we do have a lot of fear around cyber safety. Um, but being open and honest with your child and being somebody that's there and really actually interested, being genuinely interested in your child's discussions, opens that up so that you learn more and then you can help them make sure that they're communicating effectively.
0: That's wonderful. And so, look, we know that... Um people with autism often experience issues with back and forth conversation um, and interpreting social cues such as eye contact and facial expressions as you said but no doubt that is very difficult uh, in from a technology sense and also i found it really interesting even interpreting things like emojis as well that was really incredible to for me to be able to to, to stop and understand that, that that is those types of things can take time and be a lot more challenging um, from a communication perspective um, but is there any advice that you have that may assist parents um, during this time with regards to to, to communicating it? I mean, how should parents best communicate the information um, to COVID about their children? So now talking more about their communication with their children about COVID. Is there any other tips that you've got in this instance?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest um, thing is that parents need to do self-check-ins That's the biggest tip there, check in on your own language because um, we can get caught in sort of that verbal oversharing. And so checking in in the moment, so as you're talking to your child, watch their face change, watch their body change. It might tell you that you're actually talking too much and that might come from the fact that you're stressed or you're passionate about it or you're thinking a lot about it. They don't want that. Um, It's really important when communicating with a child um, with autism around these things to keep it really to the point, simple, factual information. Facts are important here because that's the way they learn. Um, They do struggle to understand the sort of um, politics around things Mm -hmm. and so keeping things factual to the point and looking at connecting it to their life. They struggle to understand other people's impact, but they can look at how it affects their life. So really talking about them, talking about your family unit, talking about the facts of the virus, the statistics, those sorts of things can be a more effective way to communicate rather than too emotionally.
0: Okay, so talking about emotionally, I mean, what are your thoughts on encouraging, but I guess not forcing the child to talk about their thoughts and their feelings about COVID? Um, you know, with with that as, as an example, what are you what are your thoughts here?
1: It is very important to open up that platform to communicate. You know, we know um, we know that a lot of kids on the spectrum do struggle to communicate their emotions every day in general, um, and often they don't have the language for the communicate that effectively. So they then might do or say things different. So opening up that um, opportunity to to talk about COVID is great. It's figuring out what they're thinking. Are they confused? Can you answer some questions? Are they feeling frustrated? Which might help you understand it's because they can't play. Are they feeling anxious? They may not say that. They may just say, I'm bored. And bored is something we hear a lot. Bored is a really easy word um bored means i don't know bored means i don't know what's next bored means i don't have an answer so if your child's using the one word when they're expressing themselves around covid it, it's worth asking more questions and talking generally because it actually may not be their emotion but it gives that opportunity and it shows them that you actually care and we do care as caregivers of children we do care but sometimes the way that we respond can show that we don't for them. If if they said, "Oh, I'm bored," and you're like, oh, "Okay, we'll just go play," for them, they're like, "You didn't listen to me." <laughs> so it's important to kind of go, "Oh, tell me a bit more about bored. What does that look like? Can I help?" Are you worried about COVID? Are you whatever whatever it might be in relation to that conversation? But when they're talking about COVID, it's important to reassure them, affirm that they've spoken. And redirect where possible and provide a calm solution. If your child's repetitively speaking about it, becoming anxious and building themselves up around COVID, that's where facts can be really useful. Facts create reduced stress Mm -hmm. when they talk about in that context.
0: So it's important for, for parents to use as much information and fact. This is what I'm hearing. Tell me if if it's right. So for parents to use as much fact as possible when describing the virus and and the current situation, for example, you know, closures, social distancing, all the things that we know and, Uh, to make sure that they are using clear and concrete language in terms of how to, instead of um, flowery or abstract phrasing, it has to be very concrete Um, and to give the children the opportunities to ask questions but to inform yourself so you can actually give factual answers back that are appropriate to their age, of course, and their development level, which is very important also. You don't want to be giving too much information to, to a younger child that's just going to confuse or sort of worry them but um, correct any misinformation that you may um, sort of share and the most important thing is to put things into perspective would this be right
1: yeah yeah so giving them all the information needed but help them understand what it means for them so we're not going we might give facts about COVID in our suburb Mm -hmm. um, because that's all we go to
0: Okay. So how should parents leave the children to feel after the conversation? Would it be with a feeling of security and hope, um, and as much as possible to avoid encouraging sort of any frightening thoughts?
1: Definitely. Definitely do at the end of conversations like this, it's important to do a check-in Just sort of say, have you got any questions? You know, what are your plans next? Is your bank, is your brain still busy? Um, <laughs> And and I think that reassuring them that you're there if they have questions and you can answer more. And so then you give them time to go and do what they need to do and you would probably watch their behaviours for for a little while afterwards. You know, Are they going back to normal play and they're actually okay or are they looking worried? Are they looking a bit stressed? Maybe they weren't sure. And do another check-in. So check-ins are the best way to do that. But um, reassuring your child that you're healthy, happy and safe at home and that you're there as a parent to look after them and that's your job and you're going to keep doing your job.
0: Yes, so help them see their world is basically a safe place and that life is absolutely worth living Um, but there's just rules at the moment that we have to sort of incorporate into our life to make sure that we are safe. So I mean following on from this, how can parents best communicate um, the social distancing rules also to children with autism? Has this been something that you've uh, experienced any challenges with at all so
1: social distancing in children is a challenge you know they um they find it really hard to to stay the distance at times I think finding creative ways to teach them those rules you know a lot of um a lot of kids on the spectrum do like rules so as soon as you set them out they're usually okay at following them but showing them in a visual way is it how far is it? Our arms can touch but our faces need to stay two arm's lengths away. Um, or this is what this looks like. Role plays, charade games, all of those sorts of things are creative ways to teach children what it feels like to follow those rules because having a rule is one thing but experiencing it is another. I know a lot of schools have incorporated um tiggy but it's they're not allowed to touch tiggy so it's sort of air tiggy (laughs) and so they they do this air tiggy concept and it's worked really well and these kids are coming in and they're talking about all of these creative activities and games that they're playing that use different rules and that would have been a change but do it in the home so practice social distancing at home at times so you might say hey we're going to play a board game today but we're going to do it and we're going to social distance but we know how far away to stay so you're teaching them in an environment that's safe um, but usually once they learn what it feels like to follow a rule they can apply that quite easily out out in the community
0: And, and speaking about being home to me children with autism are more open to social isolation and loneliness which covid could heighten so what advice do you have that could help prevent this then
1: I think networking is is really important. You know, if you've got cousins or family friends, or you know that they're online and talking to people, um, trying to ensure that you as a caregiver have those links as well. You know, can we use messenger kids? Can we use chat-based functions? Can we FaceTime? Can we do these sorts of things to create the new normal in socialisation for them? Um, I think that one of the biggest Um, barriers to socialization is the lack of ability to go to playgrounds and places like that. So can um, you use um, FaceTime to have challenges amongst friends or cousins where they both have an obstacle course set up at home and they watch each other do it. So they're getting a little bit of the normal social stuff we see for kids. They don't sit there on FaceTime like we do as adults and talk about our lives. They want to see action. They want to see things. They want to show each other their artwork. So opening up those avenues and saying, hey, do you want to call so-and-so this afternoon and show him all the stuff you did this morning? (laughs) He'd love it. Or should we send this person a photo? Can we write this person a letter? So you're opening up all of these sort of other ways to communicate showing them that it's normal and I think a really important thing for parents to remember in that is that you're the model. If you're not socialising outside of your home, your children don't think it's normal either. So if you are trying to socialise and have those conversations and take that initiative, your children are going to want to do that too.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting when I was doing my research for the interview today and uh, this phrase came up in this uh, um this article, which I found very interesting is in the question was, is there a known cause or cure for autism <coughs> spectrum disorder? I just wanted to address that question with you. Um, in, in closing, I guess as a sort of, you know, sort of going to start to wrap up the, the interview, but is there any known sort of cause uh, or cure for autism spectrum disorder that you know of?
1: <laughs> that's that's a question and I get asked all the time, all the time. It's People want to know why. And, um, you know, there is so much more research and literature Mm -hmm. and everything around autism now. Um, You know, like you mentioned at the very beginning, the rise and the prevalence is there. And with that has come so much more funding and supports into this space to actually explore reasons as far as, well, where my knowledge is, there is no clear cut answer that says this is why you have autism. It's just something that does occur for some people. Um, you know, there there's lots of things over the years where people have sort of said it's because of this and because of that, but there isn't any known. What I do see is we do often see a bit of a genetic stream go on you know if somebody in the family has autism often there can be siblings that then come out and and be diagnosed um it is not to say that it's a genetic disorder though because it's not a genetic disorder but it is a trend that we see Um, they're doing so much research into ways to diagnose early and that's where a lot of it is, is early diagnosis makes the difference. And so I think that that question of um, what causes ASD, I don't know when we'll get an answer, if at all, for that, other than that it's a, 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 a disorder that does come about and there are lots of factors, but there's not one known cause. We don't, we can't say it's because of this chromosome or this one neural pathway, but it's not fully linked.
0: So how early can autism be um, detected and diagnosed then?
1: Generally what we see the trend is that um, children um, with autism often develop quite typically up until around two and then from about two years old um, for you know a couple of years afterwards um, they may have a regression in a couple of areas so they may have a communication regression or a um, a motor milestone regression like walking or, or crawling. Those sorts of things may regress down a little bit and that's often an indication that something hasn't quite gone right for your child. So if you um, have a child that's sort of around that two to four years old and you're noticing something that doesn't feel right, it's very important to go to your GP (coughs) and have those discussions. Often what then happens is they go to people like me, OTs, speechies, and we talk through and we do assessments and support and figure out if it's normal or if there is something of concern that needs to be explored. And so what we really would like is that um, if parents are going down this track, that we're ensuring that our services are always able to provide those assessments, give that support early. Because at the, as it stands, early intervention has the highest amount of evidence. Under seven has the highest amount of evidence. So, But we do see people diagnosed as latest teenagers.
0: Yes. And there are a number of supports available for people with autism and their families so they can live empowered and fulfilling lives. Um, (coughs) We do share some of those links in the article, but could you just share with us now um, how, you know, generally, I guess, um, these support services can best support them and their families?
1: Yeah, so there's a range, a range of supports from therapy interventions to um, community and social um, interventions outside of therapy. Um, you know, we have psychology, which provides um, support for both parents and the children in emotional understanding and what we refer to as emotional literacy, um, feelings of anxiety and managing depression and those kinds of things that can come off and, um, and, br- and build that sort of, those skills so that they can be capable, independent um, people. Speech pathologists work to, to support any type of communication. So both the ability to verbalise the commun- um, their needs and also to understand what it is that they hear, but also understand what it is from the world. So they're interpreting other forms of nonverbal communication as well and working on literacy and all of those things to, again, build that independent communication and socialisation Um, occupational therapists are more functional in regards to daily living, toileting, feeding, going um, to sleep, playing, all those motor skills, everything from day to day from when you wake up to when you go to sleep, what is it you need to do? And, um, you know, we work to build that complete independence but in things that they want to and need to be able to do. So that's your therapy team, but outside of that, there's so many other organizations and supports which um, do social skills clubs and groups so that they learn to socialize and they can fit in with their peer groups. You know, your educators at schools can support those things as well. So there are so many things in place to give children the best start that they need. All we actually need to remember is that those kids um, who have a diagnosis of autism, They can fit into the world. They just need to learn it in a different way. And you need to think about your therapists and these people as we just teach the same skills as everybody else in a different language, a language that works for them. That's why we are where we are. So um, most people on the spectrum learn to live some sort of life that um, doesn't have to be normal. It's actually what's normal to them. And it's all about what's important to them and their families.
0: Portia, this has been an incredibly informative and helpful um, chat today, which I'm extremely grateful. And no doubt everybody watching and listening is also. Now, um, we've covered a lot, but if you were to summarise your key messages for anyone watching and listening, what are they?
1: I would say um, my key messages are that you as parents to to do your own check-ins, be there, know what you're feeling because your child feels it too. Um, Change and uncertainty is something we're all dealing with. So create those structures and routines daily. Visual learning is their most effective way. So to teach your child visually, use those cues that you can and don't forget to check in with other people around you and keep your social networks alive but help keep your child's social networks alive. And and I guess the big, big, big message is it's not easy but it's achievable and you can get there. Behaviour happens, things happen. You can bounce back, your child can get through this, you guys do it together and you can move forward.
0: Fantastic! And if anyone watching and listening has got any questions for you, whereabouts can they find you guys?
1: So um, I'm based at um, Springfield Youth Thrive, but we are um, we've got a website online um, there, and we've got all of our phone numbers for the clinics there. So um, so you can contact us there. We're on LinkedIn as well as Facebook too. So um, we have a great team of therapists across all of our clinics that can answer any questions at any point. Um, we really welcome parents who are. Are just wanting some more information to give our clinics a call, even if you're not making a referral to come see us. If you just want help on knowing where to go, do get in contact. And on our website, we do have information around developmental milestones if you are concerned about your child. So go and check that out, as well as a range of different articles that we've written around there that might give you guys some information.
0: Portia, thank you so much for your time. Take care and uh, stay safe. But thank you for everything you shared with us today. It's, it's been incredibly no insightful. Thank you. thank you. Take care. Stay thank safe. You. Bye. Bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kidipedia.com.au, or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.